welcome to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. I'm Jason Kong, and I have the pleasure of being here with attorney Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Jason, it's a wonderful day, uh, and it's supposed to be a wonderful day, and I hope it is for you and your family. It's, it's an exciting day, and Bill, I, I love this program, not just because of the wonderful information we get related to asset protection, but occasionally on this show, you drop us a golden nugget, whether it's a history lesson or a civics insight. So I'm really excited for what you've got. It's the kind of thing that I enjoy. And I, you know, it's kind of thing uh, where I I like to um, inform people. And and, um, one of the things I thought it would be fun, at least today, uh, it is to talk about Santa Claus. <laughs> you know, uh, you better be good. <laughs> you know, we're we're here. Uh, it's Christmas Eve, uh, or, or if you're listening to the rebroadcast, it's Christmas Day. Uh, and uh, while uh, Christians are celebrating uh, the birth of Christ. Um, you know, there's obviously a whole lot more that that goes into it. There, maybe there shouldn't be, and we'll talk uh, about a substitute, if you will. But, um, uh, you know, well, I'll just ask you, because I think this is an important question. Uh, does Santa Claus have a name other than Santa Claus? I've heard Old Saint Nick referred ah, to as go. the Santa Claus. So here's the question of the day, and some folks will know this answer, but I suspect most of us will not. So, was Saint Nick a real person, or was he an imagined person? I had always thought Saint Nick was an imagined person. Well, well the fact is that it's somewhat of a half-truth. You know, we deal with half-truths or, um, you know, all the time with the planning that I talk about with with folks just don't understand the rules when it comes to Medicaid or VA planning or, or asset protection, and there's so much misinformation out on the street. And so I thought since today is a day not only uh, to celebrate, but the children are happy. The you know the the smiles are big, the eyes are gleaming, you know the whole bit. Um, the fact is, is that Saint Nicholas was in fact a real person, and, um, and now I have to say that uh, uh, that uh, many of the stories of St. Nicholas uh, were, well, had to be, or highly likely to be, embellished. Uh, But, you know, it's embellished no more than our own heroes. I mean, think about George Washington. Did he really cut down a cherry tree? I mean, maybe, Um, you know, there's generally a half-truth in there somewhere. But the fact of the matter is that uh, St. Nicholas, of course, he wasn't born a saint. He became a saint. Uh, He uh, was born in what was, during his lifetime, 
Greece. And if you've ever been to uh, the, the Greek islands or know your ancient history, um, the, uh, many of the Greek islands uh, off of Turkey and parts of Turkey um, were in fact parts of Greece because the Greeks and the Turks went at it <laughs> over many, many, many years. And, um, you know, one of, the, one of my biggest surprises when I was uh, uh, at, in Rhodes, which is a Greek island, but it's right off the coast of Turkey. And it's like, it seems a little strange that this island is so much closer to Turkey than it is to the mainland of, of Greece. Uh, but in essence, where, um, where Nicholas was born was what is now Turkey, um, mainland Turkey, coastal Turkey, uh, but it was, um, back then, it was actually part of Greece. So I think that that is interesting uh, in and of itself. But, okay, so who was this guy? Um, obviously, uh, well, fact of it is, he was born. Uh, what we do know is that he was born to very wealthy parents, uh, very wealthy family, uh, and his parents uh, were devout. Christians. Okay, so he was reared uh, by Christian parents uh, who were devout. Uh, now, what the, Nicholas actually t took it one step further in terms of his Christianity because what he did when he um, uh, inherited the wealth, if you will, was he was extraordinarily generous. Uh, to, uh, and he was extraordinarily generous to children, uh, and he was extraordinarily generous to those in need. And so that, that's a very broad concept. But in essence, he gave his wealth away. Uh, there are not many people who will do that. And it was extraordinary. And as a, re, as a result of his generosity, um, he actually became a bishop, okay, a bishop in the Catholic Church. So, you know, that to me is pretty significant already. Uh, and there are lots and lots of stories. And so, uh, and quite frankly, uh, his, uh, his generosity uh, to children um, became a big thing, and and quite frankly, it, it resulted in the generosity that you see and the gift giving that you see at Christmas time. Uh, hence, Santa Claus. Uh, and uh, there's a, an interesting story as it relates that supposedly is verified. In other words, there's some truth to it. <laughs> as uh, is the fact that there was a, a poor man with three daughters. And at the time, uh, of course, life has changed a whole lot. At the time, um, uh, in, in order to be married, there had to be a dowry. Uh, and um, uh, if, if there was no money or property to be given as a dowry when a young woman was married, 
then typically uh, that woman would end up in servitude. In other words, not married to someone uh, who would take care of them because the dowry was, in essence, a part of the expectation. Uh, so, I mean, in fact, so that, that's sort of how uh, the, uh, uh, the, the father of, of the bride, uh, the tradition came where the father of the bride was responsible for most of the wedding costs that we see today. I mean, it's all passed down tradition, and, and of course, those traditions have changed a whole lot, too. But uh, the fact is, is that this man had three daughters, and he couldn't afford a dowry for the, his oldest daughter. And uh, there were uh, shoes and socks that were uh, laid uh, to, at the fireplace to dry. And the story is, is that, uh, and of course the assumption was it was Saint or Bishop Nicholas, that uh, threw gold coins into the through the window, which landed in the shoes and socks that were placed by the fireplace. And he did this for three days. And each day there were additional gold coins uh, that were for the dowry of these girls so that they would not end in servitude. So, uh, and... Uh, to the best of my knowledge, that story is actually true, or there's some truth to it. So the question is, what do you think that resulted in? Of course, that's the big day where the presents show up. No, 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 no. no. That, you know, think about it. Gold coins in socks. So oh, that's stocking. how uh, stockings above the fireplace, the tradition of hanging stockings, hoping that there would be gold coins uh, in your stocking uh, at Christmas time, and so that's uh, one of the stories as it as it relates to Saint Nicholas. And I, I know as I was growing up, I always had chocolate coins in my stocking that hung over the fireplace. And did I know why? No, <laughs> but did I enjoy it? Of course I did. It's a tradition in our family. So in fact, I've, I'm. Even though my children are grown and I don't have grandchildren yet, uh, I've got the gold coins to to <laughs> to be used uh, on on Christmas Day. Um, now, so the other interesting thing about Bishop Nicholas is that uh, he was actually uh, invited and attended the Council of Nicaea. And do you know what that is? I do not. Well, actually, the Council of Nicaea, it, it was uh, a brawl, if you will, among Christian leaders um, uh, where, uh, you know, they basically were arguing in, in essence about the essence of Christ, okay, uh, and what resulted from uh, the, that council was what many Christians say every Sunday, or frequently called the Nicene Creed, but it count, it came out of the uh, Council of Nicaea. And now, you have to understand that the Council of Nicaea occurred, um, when was it? It was in the 4th century, and uh, Bishop Nicholas, of course he wasn't a bishop when he was born either, was um, uh, born in the 3rd century, late 3rd century, and died in the 4th century. Um, and, and he died in 
343. <laughs> okay, born in 270. Uh, so um, uh, anyway, so that's a, a pretty interesting thing. But okay, so uh, but his genero- his generosity was lifelong. And upon his death, which was on December the 6th, okay, uh, later, actually it was many years later, he, he was then, um, he became a saint at that point. And uh, so uh, a lot of folks don't realize it, but um, the, uh, there are many, many, many churches and chapels in Europe that are named for St. Nicholas. Uh, and, uh, and now, this is the interesting part to me that um, there is still a tradition in many parts of Europe for gift giving, okay? In other words, and guess what day that that is? is. What day is it? Of, it's in December. What day do you might think it might be? I just guessed the 25th of December. No, it is December the 6th. And it was celebrated as St. Nicholas Day. And it's still celebrated in parts of Europe today. So uh, in in essence, uh, in the early years, the gift-giving was separate from the celebration of the birth of Christ. Okay, so you see how—and then over centuries— the tradition came together where they were both uh, done at the same time. Um, and, and quite frankly, there are many uh, Christians that wish it were separate. And for those, I, I would, and I can, can totally appreciate that because um, it makes a lot of sense. And quite frankly, if your family wanted to separate the two, then it would be to go back to the old tradition of the gift-giving on St. Nicholas Day of December the 6th of each year instead of December the 25th. Of course, a lot of families celebrate uh, tonight on the 24th. So it's uh, just it's a matter of what the family wants. But the fact is that St. Nicholas was a real person. Uh, he was uh, generous to a, a, a degree that most folks would, I mean, far more than tithing, far more than major gifts. Uh, he basically gave uh, virtually all of his wealth away over his lifetime. Um, and so he was revered uh, as certainly appropriate for us to celebrate a life lived that way. So anyway, I thought it would be interesting for folks to actually uh, know uh, a little bit about St. Nicholas as opposed to Santa Claus. But, you know, that's, that's where it came from. That's, that's fascinating. And it's really interesting to see how, you know, all these famous traditions that we have, the origin of them. That was really good, Bill. Thank you so much for sharing that. We are going to get into... Uh, uh, some more traditional topics on asset protection today in just a bit. Don't forget, if you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill or learn more about his free webinars that are happening on Wednesday, January 11th, you can go to WGALaw.com. WGALaw.com, that's Bill's website. Click on the Seminars button to learn more. A quick break and back with more of this 
is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com to learn more about Bill, register for his free webinars, schedule an appointment to see him. You can do it all at WGALaw.com, WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with attorney Bill Alexander. And Bill, you know, we've, we talked about this a little bit last week, but it's, it's still a time where giving is definitely on our minds no question about it and and, uh, sometimes it's how do you structure uh your generosity you know it makes sense i mean because uh and one of the concerns uh, it has to do with retirement accounts Uh, and uh, quite frankly there was a time uh as when i was young uh, that th- it was almost universal that the the most valuable thing that people possessed as far as assets were concerned was their home. Uh, that t- t- typically was far more than anything else. And that's not true anymore. Uh, do you know what asset people have today that uh, can be two, three, four, ten times larger than the value of their home? I'm guessing with the death of the pension, it's the retirement account. Uh, that's right. In other words, and there are different kinds of retirement accounts, as people know. There's 401k employer plans. There are 403b, uh, which are nonprofit and government uh, annuity retirement type plans. Uh, there are individual retirement accounts, and and there's lots of offshoots. Uh, of those, um, and so there, there are many different retirement accounts. But the fact is, is that now that we have what's called the Secure Act, and and for for good or bad, it was a bipartisan way for Congress to take more money, <laughs> because uh, frankly, uh, before the Secure Act, uh, it was. Um, uh, it, it was common uh, for at least over the, I mean, many, many years, because I've been doing them for years until it changed, uh, is what we call a stretch uh, IRA or a stretch retirement so that when your children or grandchildren uh, were the beneficiaries of your retirement accounts, uh, they would have to take a little bit each year. First year that they got it, there would be a required minimum distribution, but it was based upon their age. So if they were 50 years old or, or 20 years old, they had a lifetime for which they could take the retirement account and allow it to build up income tax-free. So it would grow because they're a lot uh, because their required distributions were relatively small based upon a much younger age when they inherited uh, the account from you. And now the SECURE Act, with a few exceptions, require uh, when our children or grandchildren receive 
uh, our retirement account as a beneficiary that they that the entire account must be distributed to them with 10 within 10 years of our death now from my perspective obviously uh, that is a huge concern because if if someone inherits uh, well I mean let's just say they uh, inherit five hundred thousand dollars which quite frankly is I mean most people would say gee whiz I'd love to inherit that much but the fact is it's not an uncommon thing for a child to inherit an account that large or much larger and guess what uh, now y- you could take it out uh, one, uh, you know, one-tenth a year, if you will, $50,000 a year. Now, for most folks, that's going to throw them into a higher tax bracket, and they have to pay income tax on every penny that's withdrawn from a retirement account called ordinary income. Um, and, and so for a lot of folks, uh, that's a huge negative. But a fear that many folks have is the fact that our beneficiaries – don't understand that they have to pay income tax uh, on those distributions. And so there's been lots of horror stories uh, where a young beneficiary went, oh boy, I got this money and I really would like that fancy car. So they take a full distribution in, in the first year, not even realizing that they have to pay income tax on it. And then when the tax bill rolls around, they don't have any money to pay it. Uh, and, and I have to say, that is not all that uncommon, particularly if they don't get good advice uh, when they receive the account. Because to a lot of people, it's just another investment account that I inherited from mom or dad. And um, so it's it can be a little bit scary for parents um, uh, when it comes to the distribution of, of those accounts um, now. And, and so now there's, there are alternatives uh, where some advisors are saying, instead of doing that, uh, take more money out of your retirement account and convert it to life insurance, uh, which can be structured any way that you want. Um, uh, and and uh, another tool that I would suggest for some folks. Now, not now. it's like this. Does everybody need these kind of tools? No, of course not. You may have perfect children, and I hope you do. But, <laughs> but so many of us don't enjoy having perfect children uh, or uh, wise children when it comes to money. There are a lot of folks out there who just are not on top of it when it comes to money. Um, and so if, if folks are not money-wise, they can actually screw up pretty badly. So uh, for parents who are trying to overcome a child who's not money-wise, you know, obviously a life insurance plan works, but also a charitable remainder trust, uh, a CRT. And there are a couple different ways of structuring those. But what you're doing is, and uh, and if, if you didn't hear that, it's a charitable trust, okay? So that basically means some of the money is going to go to charity. So now the fact is that there are an awful lot of folks that 
want to protect their children and they want to be charitable at the same time. But when it comes to do I give something to charity or do I give it to my children, most people say, no, my children need it more. So there's there's not anything given to charity. But if you do a charitable remainder trust as a beneficiary of your retirement account, then you can do both. You can give them what used to be a stretch IRA with the money uh, that remains going to the charity uh, later on. And so there are different ways of doing a charitable remainder trust, and I'm not going to go into the details. But, for instance, you can do a charitable remainder trust for uh, 20 years for a person of any age where the trust pays out a little over 11% of the trust each year, uh, whether the trust earns 11% or not. And so, you know, if, if you have 11% being paid out per year for 20 years, that's a pretty hefty sum. And then, of course, there has to be, the, the rules are, that at the end of the term, there has to be at least 10% left to go to charity. And, of course, it's a charity of your choice. So it's not like it goes to where the government wants it to go. It could be your favorite charity, uh, whatever that is, you know, wherever your passions are. So the fact is you can combine both structuring an income stream to your children uh, while at the same time uh, giving some money to charity that you would like to give to. And the fact is, when you use a charitable remainder trust as your beneficiary, there's no tax that's paid that the charity pays or that the trust pays by receiving your retirement account. So let's say you have $500,000 going to the Charitable Remainder Trust. That's not a taxable event. Now, is the income that, that goes to your spouse or children or a grandchild, whoever you structured it for, is that taxable? You better believe it. <laughs> but, and it, it's a four-tiered tax structure, and I'm not going to go into that either. But the fact is, is okay, it's taxable for the income coming out of the trust to a non-charitable beneficiary, such as your child or, or grandchild. But the fact is it can be a fairly considerable sum each year, and then there's a nice gift to charity at the end. But the goal is you've basically converted bad money management into an income stream that serves two purposes. It, it gives a nice income stream to your family, uh, and it gives a nice little gift to a charity of your choice uh, uh, that is, that's given uh, many years from now. But you can structure it depending on the age of your family members uh, for their lifetime, if they're a little older, uh, or you can structure it as a 20-year gift or something in between, depending on how much money you want them to receive each year. So I think that's a pretty good way of being generous and accomplishing another goal at the same time. That's right. It's a, that's a convenient tool that could be used and something to think about if you do have giving and charity on your mind. If you want to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill, you can go to WGA Law. 
WGALaw.com. That's Bill's website, WGALaw.com. From there, you can also learn about Bill's free webinars. Bill does these the second Wednesday of every month. The next webinar, the first one of 2023, actually, is on January 11th. That's Wednesday, January 11th. If you want to learn more about long-term care assistance, financial assistance that may be available to you, whether it's through Medicaid or VA benefits when dealing with the extraordinary costs of long-term care, this is a wonderful opportunity for you to learn more about a subject that is just rife with misinformation and half-truths. Go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button at the top of the page to register. It's free to do so. There's no cost to register, no cost to attend. It's just a wonderful educational opportunity for you. Or if you'd like to learn more about trusts, you know, we mentioned the charitable remainder trust in this segment, but if you would like to learn more about trusts in general, as well as ways to apply asset protection to you and your your portfolio, you can go to WGALaw.com and click on that seminars button. Again, free to register, free to attend, happening on Wednesday, January 11th, WGALaw.com. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Learn more about Bill at WGALaw.com. You can schedule an appointment to speak with him. You can find information about Bill's free webinars. Just click on the Seminars button at the top of WGALaw.com. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, I hope you and your family are having a wonderful holiday season and going to enjoy the weekend here. And, you know, as we spend some time with loved ones, you know, that time is something that does seem to creep into our minds as, as, as an important gift. We never have enough of it. But the fact is, uh, time is an important gift uh, that we need to give to not only our family, uh, but it's also it can be a, a significant uh, charitable uh, thing for us as well. And so uh, it, we, you know, I have lots of friends uh, who would say, well, you know, uh, I barely have enough by money to eke by, but I give my time. And, and you know, truthfully, their most charitable organizations could not function. Churches could not function without those people who give of their time. They give their heart through their time. Uh, and that is just as important uh, as anything else that that a person can do because we can only do what we can do, if you will. Uh, and so, yes, we have uh, talents, if you will, that can be given. We, uh, we have coins that can be given, uh, uh, and we have time. Uh, and, of course, um, uh, there are a lot of different ways of looking at it uh, in terms of how all that works. My mother 
used to say, you know, when you're asked to serve on a charitable board, it's because of one of two reasons. They either want your, well, three, I should say. They either want your money or they need your time devoted to their cause or both. (laughs) Now, my mother was a worker bee. I mean, she knew that when she was asked to do something for the church or for a charitable cause, it was because she was going to get in there and work. Because, uh, you know, it's, and, you know, the fact is that's an important uh, thing for any and all of us uh, to, to do. Um, and now, uh, the fact is, is that time is an important gift. Uh, and it's also a, a factor in caregiving. Uh, you know, the, uh, if, if we have a spouse or a parent uh, who uh, has a long-term care issue and we're doing our best to keep him at home or, or we're just taking responsibility for their care, it requires a lot of time and devotion and love uh, uh, for that purpose. Uh, and it's not always fair. Um, you, you know, it, uh, it's kind of thing where uh, it, it's uh, sometimes we wonder if, if, our, if our lives are being spent uh, and, not, and caring for someone else and then not having time for ourselves or quality time for ourselves. And, and it can, uh, it, with poor advice, quite frankly, uh, it, it can lead to bad results. And let me give you an example. Uh, there are many times when folks actually give of their time as a caregiver where they fully intend for uh, it, it to be um, uh, for love and affection, all right? But there are also times when you're giving up so much, there is an expectation that you'll somehow be compensated for it. Now, this I'm not talking about a spouse. I'm talking about children or grandchildren who take that responsibility. And, you know, if you're an only child, then it doesn't apply because... If you're an only child, normally you're going to inherit anything that's left over under those circumstances. But what about those families where there's two or three or four children, and one of the children is taking on all or most of the responsibility, and the other children are sitting back and saying, I sure am glad you're doing it because I sure didn't, wouldn't want to do it, or I sure couldn't do it because... I live 100 miles away, or I just don't want to do it, or I'm just, you know, not into that, uh, or I'm too busy. Uh, You know, there's a hundred different excuses that family members can give when it comes to that sort of thing. And so the fact is, is that most folks in that position do not structure things in a way where they are protected because one of the sad things that I see more often than I like are family members who basically are just sitting back waiting for their inheritance and they're just delighted that you're doing all the work Uh, but their expectation is you're doing it for love and affection and it's and we don't care 
that you're not being compensated for all of your time and energy. And, you know, oftentimes this, and here's the thing, nobody knows when your loved one uh, uh, will die. And so it's kind of thing where you might be in it for a few weeks or a few months or maybe a year or two, or you might be in it for 10 or 15 years. And so what I'm getting at is, is that oftentimes people don't get good advice about how to structure their time. And so if it's a situation where, uh, and, and I would tell those uh, family members who are not participating in the bulk of the work that they really should be uh, appreciative in a financial way for their sibling who is taking on all of the work and responsibility. Um, and should there be compensation either on a monthly basis or at death? And, and I would tell you in most cases, not all, that there should be some type of, of compensation at some point. And I'll give you an example. And, and there's a wrong way to do it and a better way to do it. So what's the wrong way to do it? Um, well, okay, mom, I'm moving in to take care of you. I'm giving up my career and, and you're going to transfer the house to me, uh, either now or at your death, to compensate me for taking care of you the rest of your life. Well, that might be a fair situation if you're giving up your career and your parent lives for 10 or 15 years because, you know, then you at least get the house. Um, but a better, but the fact is, is that mom might have transferred the house to you and then she died a week later and that's not fair to anybody even though you you made a commitment uh, so what's a better way to do it well you can have a promissory note uh, where mom pays you but that might not be enough she may not have enough to actually compensate you on a monthly basis and so the difference that you're not paid goes on a revolving promissory note secured by the house. So quite frankly, if, if, uh, if your commitment lasts, and, uh, say, for a year, uh, then you get compensated properly for that year. But then the balance when the house is sold is then distributed fairly to everyone in an equal division after you've been compensated. And of course, if, if you're there for 10 or 15 years with that commitment, then more than likely what's owed to you is going to be far more than the value of the home. And again, you are compensated uh, as least as fairly as you could be under the circumstances, recognizing that there's an awful lot of love and affection that goes into that commitment as well. But what I'm getting at is so many people uh, get into that commitment and they never seek the advice on actually how to structure in a proper way that's fair to everybody a way where you are actually compensated uh, for your commitment and the time it takes. Um, because the, quite frankly, that's the biggest commitment that a, a child can make to their parent. 
in, in a, I mean, it's it's huge. And I, you know, being someone who deals with long-term care, uh, I cannot stress how important uh, that commitment is, um, because quite frankly, without that, most uh, people uh, would not have the care they need. You know, you know, there are a lot of folks that say, "Oh, the government's got." Uh, uh, money to to help folks, and the fact is, is that for most people, there is no government assistance, and they struggle because they can't get government assistance. And of course, we do, as you know, we do webinars uh, every month on this subject, and people need to know when they can get assistance and when they can't. They certainly do, and knowing the time commitment involved. Uh, being a caregiver and just the demands on your loved ones that may be stepping up to that, it's important to have a good perspective on all of this. And I would encourage you, if you're walking into this blind or have never even considered it, you may want to register for Bill's free webinars. The next set of webinars is happening on Wednesday, January 11th. Go to WGALaw.com. Click on the Seminars button at the top of the page to register. It's free to do so. There is no cost to you. It's just a wonderful educational opportunity for you to learn about uh, some subjects that most people don't really sit down and consider until they are steeped into the middle of a long-term care crisis. So please go to WGALaw.com, click on the Seminars button, or you can call the office, 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander, and we will be right back. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, we were just talking about the gift of time, but uh, we also want to talk a little bit about being timely. Well, no question about it, Jason. Uh, I stress uh, the, the huge value in getting good advice from folks who are experienced and knowledgeable and can give you that advice. But a part of that formula is not only getting good advice, but getting timely advice. And timely advice means when you know there's a problem, not after you've been dealing with the problem for several years or 10 years or whatever because it's about having timely advice, getting timely documents, and knowing how to use those documents in a timely way. It's just like when I was talking about uh, the, the using the house. Uh, you have to do that at the beginning. You can't do it at the end when it's too late. Timely advice is important as well as trying to avoid Uh, the wrong advice at the wrong time. So if you haven't spoken with an elder law attorney before, get a hold of Bill, schedule an appointment to see him. Go to WGALaw.com or call 919-256-7000. A quick break and back with more. This is Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander, and we'll be right back. 
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander. Go to WGALaw.com to schedule an appointment to speak with Bill or to register for Bill's free webinars. If you want to learn more about Medicaid and VA benefits and long-term care assistance, or if you want to learn more about asset protection and trust planning, WGALaw.com is the place to go to register for Bill's free webinars, WGALaw.com, or call 919-256-7000, 919-256-7000. We got to get out of here. Merry Christmas to everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you'll do it again next weekend. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.